0: Welcome to Unexpressed, where we put words to the inexpressible. My name is David White, and I'm the publisher at Whitefire. Over the years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with some really amazing people, very talented authors mostly, who have a unique view of the world. Our focus has been on the things that are important and challenging, viewed through the lens of storytelling. Our readers and our listeners are a part of that process. So if you're like us, and you're looking for a podcast that will challenge you, and encourage you to challenge yourself, you've come to the right place. Today we're continuing our series on what makes good stories that are worth reading. This is episode two, so if you haven't listened to episode one, go back now and check out that one first. Today we're going to jump in and discuss how we should address good and particularly evil in our stories. All right. So last week we spent some time talking about fact, fic, fact, fiction, truth, universal truths, fairness, justice, and we just started to get into the idea of what motivates people. And I think that that's a really important thing. The when we were talking about historical figures and their facts, I happen to mention Stalin along with Churchill and Washington. And I think that a really interesting question is how do you write a true villain and understand their potentially understand their motivations? Right, like to right. what degree should we be trying to understand evil?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good question and something that most fiction writers are going to have to wrestle with because most of us – I mean, you have to have an antagonist in your story. That antagonist might be nature. It might be Stalin. It might be the government. It might be your neighbor. I mean, who knows? It could be a supervillain. It might be yourself. Yeah, or yourself. Um, So it's not always a true villain, but it's always something opposed to you. But when you get into the actual villains, the people – where you are seeing from the perspective of your hero, evil, you're seeing evil actions, or even just bad actions, or unjust actions, or unfair actions, Um, that can easily create a kind of typical villain. And, And you know, we always joke about, you know, in the old silent movies, there's the the villain who's twirling his handlebar mustache while he ties the the heroine onto the railroad tracks, right? Like this is the kind of quintessential cartoon villain that's, you know, you're going to go Muah, ha, ha, ha. But that's not who people are, right? People have reasons. People do not think of themselves as villains. I dare say Stalin thought of himself as a great hero, not a villain. So yeah, what
0: story do they tell about themselves?
1: Absolutely, and I think that's something that until you can understand that, oh, even a little bit, you can't portray a good three-dimensional character. It's going to come off as flat and cartoonish.
0: Yeah. So how much then, when you're writing a good villain, do you almost want to make them a hero? <laughs>
1: definitely times when they, they cross the line even a little. Um,
0: well, you know, the Frozen example might be oh, yeah. the, the opposite, but not real. I mean, I guess that is exactly the same thing, except <laughs> that it was based around a song, not necessarily a well, character. But it was but. still
1: a character who was supposed to be the villain that they turned into a hero.
0: Because it was just, it was too good a character to,
1: yeah. to yeah. make
0: the handlebar mustache twirler.
1: Right. But I think that that really speaks to a truth about human nature that, you know, we are all... A, a villain in someone's story and a hero in someone else's right we want to be a hero in as many stories as we possibly can be but the fact is if you punish your four-year-old for doing something they shouldn't do and stealing a cookie from the cookie jar that day you are a villain in their sight and if they were telling the story that day that's how you would be cast um so it may not even be you know a long-standing role we play but it is part of it and it's something that you know we have to as writers be really aware of that the people we the the characters we choose to be villains in our story have a thought life they have a history they have a past they have good qualities and how do you pull those out and yet also look at what they're doing that is wrong or sinful or evil and you know what makes them fall on one side versus the other
0: well i was going to look at a hero for a second because one of the things that maybe makes a hero a hero is the fact that he recognizes his own mistakes and failings and that they right. bother him.
1: Yeah. He he chooses to to go above them.
0: Yeah. It seems like in some ways there's two different kinds of villains too, right? Like there's one that doesn't even recognize that they're bad. Right. And there's another kind that recognizes it and embraces it. Yeah. And there might be more than that, but...
1: Yeah. That seems like a dichotomy. And that the kind that embraces their their own villainy is really interesting because it's hard to find the, the redeeming qualities in them. It's hard to find the good qualities when they are sold out to this. But in history, they're very rare. I mean, they happen, but they're very rare. Most of the time, people still think, well, they may fully embrace this thing that we call evil, but they don't call it evil. And I mean, it was something that I think I first really started wrestling with when I wrote Jewel of Persia, because I had, this was my story that was about Esther, but not about Esther. It was about another, another wife in the harem. But so I had Haman, who, you know, we know from the biblical story of Esther is our villain, right? He's out to get her. He's out to destroy the Jews. And, you know, this is, this is wrong. This is bad. He's ultimately defeated. But something that occurred to me as I was studying this culture was that these people fully believed in their God, and they fully believed that the God of the Jews was a demon. So if you really believe that you are on the side of right, and that those we think are on the side of right, we on the side of wrong, you're going to do anything you can to stop them. Um, so that was just something that, you know, I... It was really interesting to explore. Right, purge the
0: evil from the land type of thing. Like, from his point of view, these were, um, you know, an infestation of evil evil and demonic believers. Because
1: what they could agree on was that their god, Ahura Mazda, and Yahweh, the god of the Jews, were in opposition to each other. This was well established. And, And, you know, they had, you know... The, my character's question, well, can it be different names for the same god? No, because they require very different things of their followers and they're after very different things. They inspire different things in their yeah, followers. It's not, even,
0: it's not as though two cultures have interpreted like...
1: Zeus and Jove or Jupiter, you know, two names for the same god. Well, I
0: was even thinking like two different cultures have been spoken to by the same god, but have interpreted his commandments in different ways.
1: Right. Which would be more like Islam and Judaism.
0: Maybe, yeah. That,
1: you know, they trace back to they, they claim to trace to a common ancestor, but so a common God, but they went very different directions. Or even
0: to a, a lesser extent, you know, Judaism and Christianity.
1: Yeah. That definitely the same God, but one pauses here and one goes over here and
0: And yeah. one thinks that one isn't there yet and the other one thinks the other one's just wrong.
1: Right. Yeah, or but, maybe
0: not that, but it, it, like yeah, to, sure. to to try to put it in really short, easy terms. Yes,
1: but it but it wasn't that. It was clearly two opposing forces, and so the devotees on each opposing force fully believed that they were on the side of right. Um, so that was a really interesting way to to basically approach this whole culture and this whole really familiar story. Right, that Esther is the heroine and Haman is the villain.
0: Yeah. And then, like, when you are sold out to something like that, the rest of the facts, going back to facts for a second, don't matter. Yeah. Right. Like, you have your capital T truth that you have to act on. Yep. And, and I've, you know, I've said this not entirely jokingly before, but like, if, you know, the Christian God isn't the real God, then that's fine. I'll live with the consequences of that. But that, it's that kind <laughs> right. of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something that we've asked in our Bible studies before was, you know, if it turned out that, you know, Baal was the true God, would you worship him? And, we, and I would say, no, I would not. I would rather, I would rather worship my God who embodies my ideas of justice and truth than that, you know?
0: Right. I, I But I think you have to go with And you have to recognize that some people that you might call evil have simply made that choice. Yeah. Is Absolutely. it a bad choice? Uh, maybe, I, I mean, guess. You we, have to. We, from
1: our perspective, obviously obviously think so. And we, we have to think so. Or we run around in circles and believe in nothing. But
0: Right, so... Is it dangerous to humanize a character like Haman?
1: No, I don't think at all. I think it's dangerous not to. Because if you don't try to look at them as people then you don't understand what led them to the decisions they made, and you cannot guard yourself against falling into the same thing. Because I'm always convinced in my own mind that I'm right, right? So what is it that would make me make those decisions even in the glaring face of something that would prove me wrong? And if we don't ask ourselves those questions, then we can be led astray really easily.
0: But I guess what people are the the question i'm trying to aim at that like readers and even some writers would say like don't look into evil. you know it was a it was a quote, you know, those who study evil are studied by evil.
1: and i mean i think there is some truth to that. um but i think also another side that they may be ignoring is that if you ignore evil you've already become complicit to it. Right. So Yeah, I'm
0: trying to remember exactly how um, C.S. Lewis put it, but he said, you know, that Satan's perfectly happy with you making one of two choices, one ignoring him entirely, or the other was something like being too interested in him or something like that. Yeah. But I don't don't remember the quote, but like he's really happy if you just ignore him.
1: Right. He's happy if you worship him and he's happy if you pretend he doesn't exist because he doesn't need to worry about you at all then. So I think there's a middle line and, you know, there's – they're studying so deeply that you fall into it, and you all, like, Thanks. like you know how there's that thing where I forget what it's called, where you know you're you're driving and you're looking at something so target focused. fixation. Thank you, thank you. Target fixation. So if you're unfamiliar with the term, that's when you are so focused on something you run right into it.
0: Yeah, that it was originally coined during World War One when uh, pilot the very first fighter pilots would be so focused on shooting down the airplane in front of them, that they would run into the back of it. Right. And
1: so, you know, we, we see this in funny videos on YouTube with motorcyclists and stuff all the time. Don't right. hit the pole. Don't hit the pole. We hit the pole.
0: Right. And I mean, that's what the first thing they teach teach anyone who is learning how to like do performance driving, if you ever want to learn how to race cars, is where you look is where you're going.
1: Right. Right. So I mean there there is that danger when you're of where stu- you
0: look is where you're going. Yeah,
1: when you're studying anything, if you are looking with too much focus upon it, it pulls you in and you don't realize it in time to pull back. But we all drive all the time, right, and don't run into everything we see. So there is a way to study something, research something, understand something on a level that is safe.
0: Well, if you keep your eyes on the right thing.
1: Absolutely. I think that is a very key thing because as a Christian writer, where should my eyes always be? And that's on God. That's on his truth. So generally when I'm writing, whether I'm writing a villain or a hero, I'm always praying, you know, God, show me what truth you want me to, to explore in this story. And that usually means it's going to be contrasted with a falsehood or an evil. But we need that contrast or the truth doesn't really shine. So, you know, you have to understand at at least a certain level the evil side so that you can understand why the truth is so important, why the good is so important.
0: It's been a long time, but, like, I really like your primary villain in Ladies of the Manor series. (laughs) Rush. Well... I was going to say, how much can we give away and not give away in talking if people haven't read about it? But you look at him, I don't know, I'm not even sure how you would describe him because he just, he's so charismatic and relatable and- And
1: and unassuming.
0: Unassuming. And yet, like he's one of those people who knows what he's choosing and chooses it anyway.
1: Yes, he's- he's one of those people who has been broken recognizes that he's been broken and embraces the brokenness in a way that says that's fine as long as i can break everyone else with me and yeah so something that i explored a bit in that series at least in the final book was the difference between a villain who is born and a villain who is made so there are people who are who are born without empathy they're the so psychopaths psychopaths that it there there are chemicals missing in their in their makeup right they're they're the ones who can correctly.
0: you know torture small animals yeah, they, and,
1: they just don't feel right. what most people feel and they're an anomaly they're not the norm they're not you know they exist in the human condition but they are not normal in the human condition which is why we recognize that there's something wrong there but then there's the sociopath who is created by circumstances in their lives. So, though I am no psychologist by any means, um, I did a very little bit of research on the differences between them so that I could understand my own characters, because I had two that were together, but one, they they learned from each other, but one learned from the perspective of, this is just who I am, and one learned from the perspective of, this is who I want to be. And it's a huge difference.
0: Okay, say more how it's a huge difference. (laughs) Because I mean it might be obvious, but
1: Because the the person who is made that way honestly can't can't help it. I mean, they can take right actions, but it never means Yeah, they can
0: learn to behave correctly.
1: Right, but they're imitating. So if we're talking about motivations, they're never motivated to do good for the sake of doing good. They're only motivated to do good as it is expedient to them.
0: But isn't that what people accuse religion of and, you know, moralism of all the time is we're merely conditioned to do the quote unquote right thing?
1: Well, I think that is to an extent what religion does, but that is not what faith does. Faith asks us to go beyond and to, to, to really change our whole perspective so that instead of just thinking, what am I getting out of it? you're instead thinking, what am I giving? What am I doing for for God? What am I doing for the kingdom? Um, So it's a very, it's a very different perspective, but it's also subtle enough that a lot of people miss it, (laughs) especially if they're outside of the community of faith and religion. So they only see the rules and that people follow, and they see the people who follow them without knowing why, And they don't often realize that there are people who have reason to them and understand them and are choosing them for for different reasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, it may be a a side question, but with one of the themes that we're exploring with this series of what makes a good story, it makes me wonder, is there room to get people on the outside to understand that? Like, This may be outside the purview of what we're talking about right now and a bigger question in general, but like, how do you get people to see why you know people yeah. of faith make the faith choice.
1: Right. And I think a lot of times how you do that is through through the the contrast of a hero and a villain. I mean exactly what we're talking about that because they will see and what's really fun is when you have a hero and a villain who are presented with the same choice and they chose different sides. Right? Like there there's no more classic opposition than you know, the one who who chose A and the one who chose B in the, pretty much the same circumstances. So when you have that especially, or really, you know, any, any similar setup, what you're doing is presenting people with choices similar to ones they're going to face in life and making them question, which way would I go?
0: Even if their questions turned up to 11 to make them well, very obvious. Sure,
1: sure. Because uh, you know we're all about tension and making the story interesting and turning the pages, but again, it's it's a it's an example that speaks to something true. So while sure, I've never faced a psychopath or a sociopath who has you know claims to own something that's mine or whatever. The fact is that you know we do all have these circumstances in our lives where we are opposed to someone, where there is a dispute over ownership or rights to something or whether we're treated fairly in a situation and we have choices to make so when we see these sorts of choices played out in fiction and you see one turn into a villain who is so self-possessed or obsessed rather and so concerned only with themselves and you see how that ruins relationships around them and and really poisons their whole world and then you see on the other hand the hero who makes the choice to sacrifice who makes the choice to put someone else first and you see how that grows relationships and grows their world and you go oh which one do i want to do do i want to be focused only on me and lose it all or do i want to give it all up and in so gain something more as an example
0: yeah so that is all this has started me wondering what happens if you don't do this kind of deep dive on motivations and good versus evil and good choices and bad choices? And it seems like there's an awful lot of – when people don't want to write about evil yeah. or they don't want to tell stories about evil. They don't want to – I've heard people say like – well, this goes back to the the redeeming love example from the last, the last bit was – I guess that was the last podcast. Yeah. Was – people don't know what they like.
1: People will say they don't want stories that focus on evil.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: But you do want stories that show how good wins out, and you're not going to have that or the victory won't be very sweet if the, you know, if the opposition wasn't strong. And
0: what do you get when you write a story like that?
1: I think you get low stakes that won't involve the reader very much. I mean, it, it, we'll just take it back to Jesus and his parable of, you know, who's going to love, love someone more. He who was forgiven little or he who was forgiven much, you know, the bigger the sin, the bigger the forgiveness in a way. So, you know, the, the more difficult it is, to imagine a person, you know, overcoming something, the the stronger the forces against them, the darker the forces against them, the brighter the light's going to shine.
0: Yeah, I think that maybe we need to also take a minute to look at the idea of an anti-hero because I feel like that we're, we're touching up against that sometimes or or some variation thereof because I think that there are obvious villains mm-hmm. that have chosen the wrong path for one reason or another. Sure. And then that you have heroes who really lament their bad choices. And I I like some fiction writers don't even want to necessarily have that. They want to have straight straight heroes, right? The ones who make the right choices a lot. Maybe that's not always the case,
1: <laughs> I think I think it, it goes in waves. I think we're in a fad uh, or at least have been in recent years where people have been so set on having heroes that are believable, by which they mean have have a lot of flaws they sometimes forget to put the good qualities in. <laughs> um or you know, you have the antihero who is who is so reluctant that he is basically only coerced into doing the right thing. And that doesn't ring true to us either, right? That's not like, who that's we almost ring for. borderline
0: a villain in some way. Like the fun way to spin that story would be to have him the person you set up as a hero or anti-hero will actually be the villain. But, you know, that's <laughs> yeah.
1: A- yeah, but, you know, I, I've, I've seen a television show, for instance, where, you know, it took him so long and he had to be forced to do the right thing that I, I didn't care about him anymore. I didn't root for him. Not once in, like, the first season did he make the good choice on his own. And that is not a hero, in my opinion. So my idea of a good anti-hero is one who doesn't want to be a hero maybe thinks he doesn't deserve to be a hero but still has that heroic kernel in him and will make the right choice maybe reluctantly but maybe I think
0: that the deserving fact is yeah, important. Yeah, like
1: like he'll do the right thing and not think it matters a bit that he's still unworthy. Right. So, you know, I've written I've written a few of these anti-hero characters but they always still have They always still have something in them that makes them realize or think that I am unworthy, so I am unworthy of this good thing in my life, this good person in my life, so I should protect them. Not even realizing that that makes them heroic, to want to protect people from themselves.
0: Right, and I think in that way, like, in real life, most heroes are antiheroes. Like, Like, none of us... Okay, so I really envy the people who go out of their way to do good all the time. <laughs> yes. But most of us, like you do really do have to be like poked and prodded. And I, I think that that also is uh, this is getting in a different subject. but like if you don't know where your lines are, and this is where the power of fiction come in, that help you know where your lines are mm-hmm. for when you have to act or not act some we have to be be pulled across that line sometimes. Yeah. We have to be shown where this is or isn't.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I think in contrast to the anti-hero, you do have you have the the true hero who is still believable. He still has flaws, but he his primary concern is something that we would call noble. So maybe it's taking care of his family, or maybe it's, you know, um serving his unit in a war or something you know ser- serving beside his brothers maybe it's you know protecting someone who can't protect themselves right like, So it's not that they are setting out to be a hero but their' their focus is their primarily motivation. yeah their motivation is something other than me, you know right. something other than themselves and I think that is what what is at the heart of a, a good true hero Well
0: and I think you know one of your other books I, I guess, uh, Wings of Devotion. Like, one of the questions that the reader is asking themselves because they don't know the whole backstory is Is Camden a hero or anti hero?
1: Right. Yeah. So you see heroic qualities in him, but he is so, so convinced that he's unworthy of anything. And you know something has happened to make him think this. So, yes. <laughs> so, did
0: he actually make a bad mistake?
1: Right. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly.
0: That's. And was that bad mistake worthy of all the shame he lives through.
1: Right. So you have to deal with the question of if it is, is he redeemable? And if, if it's false, you know, how do you convince him that he's still worthy of, of life basically? Cause he thinks he's deserving of death. So yeah, it made for a really interesting and really deep, uh, hero, <laughs> anti-hero who, you know, he, he will say up front, he's not out to do good, he's not out to help anyone, he's not out to do anything heroic, but he just can't stop. <laughs> he like, has this this core of heroism that he can't turn off.
0: Well, isn't that what makes the best anti-heroes, is Absolutely. they don't want it? Yeah. And they don't have a choice for some reason?
1: Yeah, and I think... Like, I, you know,
0: in, in his case, like, I, I don't know that you ever get into this background, but, like, you get the distinct feeling that he's a gentleman and he joined the Royal Flying Corps... Mm-hmm. because, like, this is a roguish thing to do, right? Like, right. as close as you yeah. get to being a pirate in 19... You know. <laughs>
1: 1912 1914, absolutely, yeah.
0: And yet, even so, he's a gentleman protecting his people. and
1: Yes, so, yeah, if you are Camden's friend, he will storm the gates of hell for you. So, at the point where we meet him in the story, he will even... he even tells people... I don't. I don't have friends. I don't want friends. I don't need friends. I'm not out to make friends. And,
0: and is that another way of saying like I don't want to have to do this?
1: Yeah, it, it's basically saying my last group of friends are all dead now, so you should just stay away from me. But yeah, so it was really interesting to try to delve into that. Yeah. So, but I, I
0: and I, I I hate to keep going back to this this anti um, question of. What if you just hadn't written it that way? Like, what would the book have looked like if Camden were wrongly accused of getting his squadron killed killed and that he, you know...
1: Was out to clear his own name. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a totally different story. And, you know... But it would have
0: left you with sort of a self-righteous... Yeah. Unbelievable hero. Even if he was absolutely... Like... You take out the parts where he may or may not have deserved the shame that he put on himself. Let's say that this perfect hero in this world didn't even have that as a question. Right. He was up, upstanding good man his whole life yeah. and was wrongly accused. Like some, I feel like some people say, that's the story I want to read. I want to read the story of a, an absolutely perfect man who was unjustly accused of something and clears his name. <laughs>
1: And there are those stories. And sometimes that's, you know, the story it needs to be. And it's, it's really great. Well, something
0: but... that we talked about, um, the, the, the story, the movie that had gone through my head, um, talking last time was A Time to Kill.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. But you know, it starts with this man's daughter being raped and him going and killing the people who did it. Right. And was he justified? Was that, was that justice? Should he be punished for that? Is the whole question of the movie. Right. Right. Like, but if it that had just been the story of trying to bring, you know, the rapist to justice, would not have been
1: It, it would have been very simple.
0: Yeah. So why do we want complicated evil villainous things in our stories?
1: I think because we recognize that the world in our lives, while we try to make them very simple, aren't like
0: and that may go to why people say they want the nice.
1: Right. Yeah, because we want to know who's good and who's evil. But it's usually not that simple. It it and in these heated, you know, very very polarized political systems we have right now, they are calling each other evil, which is ridiculous, right? They're just people. There are people who have some some, you know, good stances and some bad stances. But we want to apply these labels because it makes it neat and tidy.
0: But they'll say that, you know, maybe the people aren't evil, but they're doing evil. Like so how how do we apply that they're doing evil standard? Because don't good people occasionally accidentally do evil?
1: They do. Yeah, so I mean... I so think, how do you
0: address that in a story?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think that's, you know, what stories often do. And that's often where we get an anti-hero who has done something wrong or thinks he has done something wrong. Um, or sometimes it's where we get, you know, an antagonist who is cast as a villain, but we still see that, you know, it's just that he's on the other side of a war. Uh, you know, that was another something I did in the same series that Camden was in was, you know, you have... You have spies on both sides, right? You've got the English spies and you've got the German spies. They're both just serving their country. And so the the difference is where do they draw their lines? And, you know, they're, they're right, going or to... Or
0: Margot's, you know, go opponent. Yeah, well, that's... Is that who you're thinking <laughs> yeah, of? Yeah,
1: the, the German agent. So, you know, you they have to make choices. And at some point they make you know, how I differentiate between them is that the villain is going to make a choice to seek vengeance for himself instead of, you know, instead of just serving his country, whereas the hero is going to sacrifice to save someone else rather than seeking vengeance for himself. But they're complicated questions because we we have complicated lives and we ask complicated questions, or we should. And I think, you know, I'm kind of on this new kick of of we need to live deeply and ask deep questions. And when when I'm writing, I should write deeply and, and ask deep questions. And when I'm reading, I want to read deeply and ask deep questions. And I think that it's because otherwise we're just skimming the surface of our world. And we, we realize on some level that we're missing something when we do that.
0: Thank you for joining us today as we talked about good and evil in storytelling in our series on what makes good stories that are worth reading. Join us next week as we discuss empathy, perhaps the most important element in any good story. This podcast is sponsored by Read at Whitefire. There you can read the first two chapters of any Whitefire Publishing Group company's books. And if you like what you read, they're available for purchase in print format as well as electronic formats for all the most popular e-readers. Some books even have signed copies available. And if you're a listener of this podcast, there's a chance you're a good candidate for Platy People, our membership program for unique readers. For just $5 a month or $50 a year, Platy People members get to choose two free books per month, a free novella, 15% off all purchases, including gift certificates, and free shipping to U.S. addresses. Why choose ordinary when you can read extraordinary? Unexpressed as part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv/podcast to find other shows we know you're going to love.